Greetings in, in Jesus' name, and I too welcome each and every one of you to this portion of the service here today. Um, before I get started into the actual sermon part, I guess I got a couple things that I'd like to share. Today is Mother's Day, and so I uh, got a couple things here from uh, a guy named Melvin Newland. What, is a, what, what are mothers? Well, mothers are teachers, disciplinarians. Mothers are cleaning ladies. Some mothers are gardeners and mowers of lawns. Mothers are nurses, doctors, psychologists, counselors, chauffeurs, and coaches. Mothers are developers of personalities, molders of vocabularies, shapers of attitudes. Mothers are soft voices saying, I love you. And mothers are linked to God, a child's first impression of God's love. Mothers are all these and much, much more. I uh, have a couple of these things to honor our mothers here today. Uh, mother's Day is a special day, and I thank God for all the godly mothers that are, are here today. Abraham Lincoln, no one is poor who had a godly mother. My mother was the most beautiful woman I ever saw. All I have I owe to my mother. I attribute all the moral, intellectual, and physical education I received from her, George Washington. I found a poem I'd like to read that speaks to motherhood. Some may climb Mount Everest in search of thrills galore, but I scale peaks that rival it just past the laundry door. Slopes of socks and underwear, sheer cliffs of shirts and pants. Oh yes, I live in mortal fear of a laundry avalanche. Mother's Day is a day for, for greeting and expressing of love, and it is also a day for remembering. I do not believe that anything has ever been said or ever will, will be said that is eloquent enough or expressive enough to articulate the true value of a mother. Motherhood is a special gift from God, and it seems to me that something miraculous occurred when a woman gives birth to her first child. For in a way, there is really two births. The first, of course, is the birth of a child. The second is the birth of a mother. It is a miraculous gift, a gift of creation. And as children, we relate to our mothers differently through the years. At age four, we say, my mom, she can do anything. At age 12, well, mom doesn't know everything. At age 14, mom doesn't know anything at all. At age 18, mom's out of step with the times. At age 25, well, mom knows a few things. At age 35, before we decide what to do, let's get mom's opinion. At age 45, I wonder what mom would say about this. And at age 65, I wish I could talk with my mother one more time. I read that, that poem and those little sayings, some of them are kind of uh, comical, but I, I urge you, and it's already been mentioned today, to thank your mother. To uh, None of us are, are too big, too old, too macho to come to our mother and tell her thank you and I love you. Um, someday, there'll be a time when we probably can't tell our mother that. And I had to think about this last year. I know there's some that have lost their mother this last year. 
And I see Linda's not with us, but she lost a grandson who today would be probably saying Happy Mother's Day to Grandma. So we don't know how long we have, but I am going to encourage you to uh, be sure and tell your mother that you love her. Take the time to call her. Take the time to go visit her. To do something for your mom, because she's done so much for you. She did so much for you that you, we just live life and expect to happen. So I thank every mother that's here today, and I say God bless you for all the hours you put in. Last Sunday, I had a little fun during Sunday school. I went around and I talked to the children in church, children, young adults, some adults, all the way up through, and I asked them what they appreciate about their mom. And I did, uh, we did get on the phone, my wife did, and uh, extended it a little bit farther for there are some moms here today that children are not in church. So I am not gonna say which, uh, who said what, and who it's, who it's for, but I would like to share it with you moms and uh, also some grandmas. We got some grandchildren responses. So God bless you as uh, I go through this and uh, thank you for, for being godly mothers. Mom makes and does a craft with me. Always encourage me in the kitchen, no matter what kind of a mess I made. Genuinely cares about me and what is going on in my life. Always made way too much good food and lots of great leftovers. Mom still cares and checks in with me even when I get older. She taught me the importance of doing right. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it, to him it is sin. Makes pumpkin pie without pumpkin. Mom helps with school, best teacher ever. Makes really great food and even though doesn't understand math, mainly fractions, very well, she still is a good teacher. Does all the small but important things at home. She teaches gardening. Makes sure that I know when it is time to take out the trash. Put interest into what her children's interests are, even if she personally is not that interested in it herself. For Grandma, I like to ask Grandma if she wants a hug. I think it makes her day every time. Loves that she gives her time and love all herself into learning how to bless the people around her. Is very, thoughtful, is very thoughtful in giving gifts that mean a lot. I learned how to nurture and love my own children. I've learned how to bless other people and invest in those whom everyone else overlooks. Mom, I really love you. As an adult, I still depend on her friendship, mentoring, and support. What a gift to have the love of a nurturing mother. Loves grandma, has tea parties, and sings B-I-N-G-O song with me. And going to grandma's house. Mom has a heart for serving others and the joy she finds in giving to others. Her family is often blessed with her gifts of food and goodies enjoyed by her grandchildren. Want to honor mom for her steadfast faith in God and the godly example she has given to us. A couple more here. Mom is a good cook, takes the time to spend quality time with me. She plays ball with me. She takes us garage sailing and even lets us host our own garage sale. She lets us put baked goods on it so we can make some money. 
makes great muffins, great donuts, does my chores when I'm gone, lets us have our own garden. She's watching, helping, and guiding us along the way. Likes to play games with us, especially the bean game. Buys clothes, buys chickens for us. Plays a good game of Candyland. Washes our clothes, reads Bible stories to us. Gives me gifts for my birthday, makes me do the dishwasher. Gave me a tea set. She makes all my favorite food. Cookies, waffles, eggs, colored pancakes, and donuts. Makes me listen to, lets me listen to Adventures in Odyssey in my quiet time. She takes care of the house, the food, and the laundry. She is a great teacher. Even lets me skip a little bit of math. God bless each and every one of you moms. It was a lot of fun um, seeing the children and I, just watching their expressions, seeing the words out of their mouth, I started with the youth class. I told them they've got to pick it up a little bit. I think it was a little bit easier with Hannah's class up there, the youngest of the youngest. We got them talking, and we got the colored pancakes and the donuts, and we were having a good time. So God bless each and every one of you moms and grandmas. It is a blessing to see, um, as Marvin shared here this morning, of that heritage of passing it down. And uh, the, the influence that moms and grandmas have, I think about the time that you figure the, your work might be getting almost done, your yard's full of your children's children, hopefully. And that's a huge blessing. So God bless each one of you for all the hours and countless um, days you, you take and you put into it. Um, can't say it enough. Tell your mom you love her until you can't. So keep reminding her and thanking her for what she's done. God bless each and every one of you moms. I will be sharing a little bit of a sermon here this morning. It's not all going to be just a tribute. I thought about making it all a tribute today. I did tell the children and the youth that if they would give me enough, enough uh, information and stuff to work with, I wouldn't have to preach at all or study. I could just share that. But I have, a, I have prepared a little bit, and that is out of Haggai, uh, chapter 1. <laughs> I'd like to set the setting here of Haggai, which is a prophet. And uh, as I was studying, I found it comical. The one guy on the, the one guy said, Haggai, it's a very small book of the Bible. It is. It's two chapters long. He said, you might have fun finding it. He said, go to Matthew and go left about two chapters. You'll find it right there. And I thought that was kind of an interesting one to, to say. But I was blessed by studying Haggai. It was written in, base, in about uh, 520 B.C., and here in uh, 586 B.C., the armies of Babylon had destroyed the temple and taken the Jews captive. And uh, King Cyrus had, declared that the, had decreed that the Jews could return to their beloved city and rebuild the temple. So they had been taken captive and the temple was destroyed in 586 B.C. And I think around 538, they had been, they had been allowed to come back and rebuild the temple. They figure less than about 50,000 Jews came back to their homeland. There was hundreds of thousands, they figure, that went into captivity. So probably maybe the ones most committed to the Lord at that time would have came back. Um, they came back to build the temple. And we talked about this in Sunday school a little bit. I think you all know this, but the temple was a place to worship God. 
Today, after Christ died for us, we are the temple of God. Our church house does not hold the same meaning, I would say, as the temple did back in the day. So it's very important to build this temple. This was their spiritual awareness of what, uh, what God was to them. So they came back to build that. In the first couple years, uh, they went to work and they finished the foundation of the temple. But here, uh, as we start in the first chapter of Haggai, they had spent the last, I don't know, different commentaries have different opinions, 14, 15, 16 years doing virtually nothing. So they laid the foundation of the temple, and then seems like maybe they lost their priorities. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about Mother's Day, and I was thinking about in life, sometimes with the demands of life, the demands of being a dad, being a mom, the demands of, of work, the demands of just living, we sometimes kind of flounder around. Doesn't mean we're necessarily doing bad things. I don't think these people were out just causing awful turmoil. But we're kind of like a ship out in the ocean just kind of swaying to wherever the tide takes us. And that's kind of what I want to give you as a setting spot as we jump into uh, Haggai. Because I believe this is where he comes on the scene and he is like, all right, people, what's going on? And, I, and it reminded me of a lot today. People are just living. They're just in the sea. Wherever the ocean waves take them, they kind of just sway. And I feel like spiritually, we can get caught in the same exact thing. I know that being a mom, being a dad, being a Christian, looking out for those around us can get tiring and wearying at times. I hope we're encouraged to look here in Haggai and ask if our priorities are in the right spot. If our motive is in the right spot. If we have our motor running, if we got a goal, if we got a passion, if we're willing to just to kind of aimlessly float around. And then after 15 years say, oh, we started a foundation. What now? Let's go ahead and read the first 11 verses of Haggai 1. In the second year of King Darius, the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shethel, governor of Judah, and the Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, this people says, the time has, not, the time has not came, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled homes, houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat and do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You, you clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earn wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and, and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but indeed it came too little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you 
Withhold the dew, and the earth withhold its fruit. But I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. So as I was looking at, at the situation here, I just set the setting for it. And the very second verse there, thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, and this people, he says, these are you people here, and you're saying the time has not came for us to rebuild the temple. So, my first point is excuses. These people had came back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. To rebuild the temple, to get it right as spiritually with God as we would know it today. That was their purpose for coming back. But here they say, oh, the time is not right. And I found it so interesting. They didn't say, oh, we don't need to anymore. Oh, we decided the temple didn't matter. Oh, we, you know, we just went astray and we don't care about the temple. They righteousfied their excuses. And they said, oh, they don't think the time's quite right. It really intrigued me because today we have the same tendency. Maybe it's a lack of honesty. Maybe it's a lack we don't want to sit here and say, hey, we don't care anymore. But we make excuses for what God has asked us to do. And then we righteousify them, excuse and say, oh, we're not sure on the timing issue. See, these Jews had come back to desolate land. They were gone for years. It was hard to work. Didn't have a lot of money. Can't believe coming out of captivity, they were rolling in everything. So they said, we just, you know, we got busy with our own lives, you might say. I don't know what God's asking you to do in your life. But I am going to challenge you today that you don't make excuses for what his will is. It might be, as we talked about today, being the best mom you can be. Greatest calling on earth. The best dad you can be. To give up some of your own things. You say, but I, but I need a little of me. Well, maybe once in a while. What is God asking of you? Are you making excuses Excuses that I got to earn more money. Excuses that I need more. I don't know, but I ask you that question. First and foremost, I believe that as we are floundering around out there and we are making any excuses for what we are doing, then we will be just like the Jews here. We'll end up being 15 years of just doing absolutely nothing. Then we'll righteousify our excuses. So let's move on. And... Uh, Verses 3 through 6, and then Haggai said, It is time you yourselves dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins. Consider your ways. I love what he said there. And he, and he, gets, to the, he gets to the point. He says, uh, where are your priorities? So point number two. First one, excuses. The second one is get your priorities in line. And I love the fact that Haggai sits there and he says, you know what, your priorities, you just built a paneled house. And we might say today, paneling is uh, less than ideal. It's a cheap way to go, right? That's kind of the way we view it. If I understand it right, back in the day, this was cedar and oak. Paneling in your houses was for only the king's palaces. This was the wealthy of the wealthies. So in Hagar's day, he's saying, you've built your own houses. 
You've went and found your own materialistic needs and wants and desires, and you build a palace. And my house lies in ruins. The temple of the Lord is just ruined. He said, consider your way. Where are you going? I believe they were not doing the work of the Lord, which God had called them to rebuild this temple because of their own comfort, their own money situation, their own pleasure. I, I don't know what was deterring them, but I do believe that they had chosen to not consider their ways. And consider your ways. The Hebrew figure of speech for this phrase is put your heart on your roads. Basically asking them to consider the direction of your life to see if it's really where you want to continue. So he's saying consider your ways. You've built your houses, but on a spiritual side, you've done nothing. You've laid a foundation. And you turned around and you did nothing for 15 years. So I ask us today, spiritually speaking, have we spent the last 15 years with a foundation laid and doing nothing? Or have we spent the last 15 years doing what God has asked us to do? I believe that we need the same exact words from Haggai, consider your ways. I find it very intriguing. Most of us are absolute experts at considering the ways of somebody else. We like to look around and say, well, that person over there, they ain't doing what God asked them to do. He says it again in verse 7. Consider your ways. Not your neighbors, not your friends, not somebody else's, yours. So I think that's a good call for us today. Verses 6, he mentions, you've sown a lot and bring in little. You're in wages, you put them in your pockets or a bag with holes in them. It sounds just like today, right? We go out and work, we bring home a paycheck, and it's gone before we know what happened. I don't think he was actually trying to give a monetary uh, encouragement here. I think what he was trying to tell them is, what you are doing does not satisfy. You are not bringing forth a fruitful harvest because your priorities are wrong. You have lost your priorities. You are here to do a specific purpose, and instead you went and built your own materialistic kingdoms. You forgot about the spiritual part of what you came here for. I believe we'll have the same problem here today. We'll sow a lot, reap a little. The, the holes in our bags with money will be falling out faster than not if we don't get God in the right perspective. Verses 7 through 11 and I love this part of it. And I've titled this one, Go, Bring, and Build. Then the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go to the mountain and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. So I ask you today, God is asking for obedience. And he is asking you to go, to bring, and to build the temple. He is asking you to go, think, fine, don't make any more excuses. Don't worry, don't get your priorities all messed up. But go find what you need spiritually. You need God's word. You need to quit making excuses and get into what God wants you to do. Go, bring, and build. 
your temple for Jesus Christ. I believe we have to recognize the truth of our state of where we're at. When we say consider our ways, where are you at? Be honest with yourself. If you can't be honest with yourself, if you can't be totally uh, open with God, then forget it. You're going to continue to flounder and drift around just like the people back, the Jews back in Haggai. They had a purpose, but they were just stuck out there doing whatever they wanted to do. And I believe the same thing. If we cannot be open and honest with ourselves, that's exactly where we're going to be in 15 years from now. Just flat drifting. I believe we have to follow the truth. We have to live this out to a T. So we can bring glory and honor and worship so Christ can be glorified. He didn't want this big massive temple for the building. He wanted it because Jesus wanted to be glorified. And he's asking us today, I, Christ, Jehovah, our God, our King of kings and our Lord of lords wants to be glorified and worshipped by you. I don't know where you're at spiritually today. But he talks about it in 9. He says, uh, You looked for much but little, but indeed it came to little. Why? Because my house was in ruins, while every one of you runs to your own house. I think what Haggai is saying is, spiritually, you had nothing. Your life, my house, the Lord's temple was in ruins. You put no effort into it, but you ran to your own materialistic, beautiful, built palace. For comfort. So I'm going to ask you a few questions in closing here today. And I want you to think about it. I want you to think about if you're making excuses. Where's your priorities? Are you to the point where you need to go, bring, and build your temple? What do you need to rebuild in your life? Do you view God with the reverence he deserves? Are we, do we may acknowledge the truth or are we busy making excuses? Are we willing to prioritize important things in life, God's work, this next week? What are you needing to go, to bring, to build in your life to get right spiritually with our God? Let's bow forward to prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. Just thank you for all the encouragement we have in Scripture. I pray that we can be a people that is open before you. That we cannot be like the Jews here and these examples of spending 15 years not building the temple. I pray that each one of us can build our temple, which is our spiritual condition with you. And we can walk closer to you. We can be excited to walk closer than you. We can prioritize the important things in our life so that we can draw closer to you on an everyday basis. I just thank you for the challenge and the scriptures you have given us. I pray that we'd be open, that they can work in our life. We thank you and praise you in your name. Amen. May God bless you. And once again, I want to bless all the mothers that are here today. And uh, for all you do, may God bless you and you may be honored today.